The passage that we're looking at today is Psalm number 103, and Noel is going to read that for us now. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As our Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Well, Christmas is now behind us for another year. Uh, New Year's Day is just a few days away. Already we're seeing ads on television for Australia Day. Australia Day seems to be growing in importance. Every year it seems to be getting bigger and bigger. And the TV ads tell us what it is that we should be proud of as Australians. What is it that makes us distinctively Australian? So what does it mean to be an Australian? What are the things that mark us out as a nation? One of the radio stations in Sydney a few years ago was trying to get into the spirit of Australia Day and they thought doing the Aussie barbecue was the truly Australian thing to do. And they decided to try and even make it more Aussie by barbecuing lamingtons and meat pies. One thing that seems to be an Australian characteristic is being willing to forgive other people for their indiscretions. Probably the best example of this is Ned Kelly. Here's a man who was a thug, a thief and a murderer of three police officers. But Australians seem to be willing 
to overlook all of that and to view him instead as a bit of a folk hero, a bit of a larrikin, someone who was just out for a bit of harmless fun. Australians seem to be willing to overlook the, the indiscretions of others as well. Uh, Dawn Fraser is another good example. A, a great swimmer, but perhaps not the best ambassador for Australia. After stealing the flag from the Imperial Palace, along with a, a long list of other indiscretions, she was finally banned from swimming. But the year that she was banned from swimming was also the same year that she was named Australian of the Year. Or think about Bob Hawke. Here's a man who in 1963 held the world beer drinking record for drinking a yard glass of beer. A man with a reputation as a womaniser, but we made him prime minister of this country. Even our national song, Waltzing Matilda, a song that a lot of people think should be our national anthem. It's a song about a man who steals a sheep. Australians seem to be willing to forgive the flaws in other people, willing to forgive their mistakes and their shortcomings. Well, this morning we're looking at a psalm where King David wants to highlight the fact that our God is a forgiving God, that he's willing to forgive the things that we've done wrong, that he's a God who doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, that he's willing to show compassion and love to those who turn to him. And David can testify to it from his own experience, but he can also testify to it from the pages of the Old Testament. And he challenges us to offer praise to God for what it is that he's done. The psalm opens with David singing God's praises. You've got it there, those opening couple of verses, and there are numerous hymns, including ones that we've sung this morning, that are based on the words from this psalm. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, David says. David is the king of Israel, and he's saying that he wants to praise God with every fibre of his being. And what's prompted him to want to praise God? Well, I think it's what he says there in verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all all his benefits. Seems as though he's been pondering the benefits of knowing God, thinking about what it means, thinking about what it is that he has to be thankful for. It's not something we're very good at, is it? Thinking about what it is that we have to be thankful for. My auntie works for the customer service uh, uh, branch of a particular major company here in, in Sydney. Uh, she's the complaints person. When you ring the number on the back of the packaging, she's the person that you'll end up talking to. Could you imagine that job? All the time you're just hearing people telling you how they hate the product. I, I, I've never asked her, but, I, but I'm pretty sure she never gets any phone calls where people ring up and say, just wanted to say it works brilliantly, I love your product, I think it's terrific. She'd get all the complaints, wouldn't she? she wouldn't be ring, there wouldn't be the people ringing up saying thank you for what it is that you make. There would be people who are wanting to ring up and complain. And we're a bit like that, aren't we? We always think, think of the things that we have to complain about, the things that could be better, the things that aren't quite good enough. But if we were to stop and think about it, there's an extraordinary amount that we really should be thankful for, isn't there? Just in everyday life. If you had to think about a title for this psalm, I wonder if it might end up being Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. And that's what David does. 
He remembers the benefits of knowing God. And he lists them starting there. Verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now David's clearly talking from personal experience there, isn't he? And if you read the story of David, you'll probably know some of the things that he actually has in mind. He's tasted God's grace. He knows what it is to be forgiven by God. He knows what it is to be rescued from the pit. It's one line that stands out to me though, uh, and it's verse 4. Do you see what it says there? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Now think about that. Here's the man who's the king of Israel. Here's the man who knows what it is to have that crown placed on his head. But he doesn't want to talk about that crown or the benefits that that crown brings. He wants to talk about this crown of love and compassion that God places on the heads of all those who trust him. Far better than being the king of Israel is to know God's love. And it's a crown that he's placed on the head of all those who fear him, all those who trust him. It's a remarkable thing to stop and think about, isn't it? That if you have your trust in Jesus, you have a personal relationship with God. That you know God personally, that you can pray, Our Father in heaven. You don't have to direct your prayers via somebody else. You can talk directly to God because you know him personally. It's sad that we can sometimes take that for granted, isn't it? It's sad that we can see it as a small thing. But I'm sure that every one of us here this morning would be able to talk about our personal relationship with God. And talk about the great things that God has done in our life. That we could talk about the benefits of knowing God. But sadly, all too often we just take it for granted. We just assume that it's ours, that we deserve it, that it's ours by right. But it's helpful to have passages like this where we're challenged to count our blessings again. And remember what it is that God has done for us. Now, so far, I think David's been talking from personal experience. And it's very difficult to prove anything from personal experience, just saying, well, this is what I have experienced, because it's not really verifiable. I mean, ask those people who want to tell you that they've been up in UFOs. It's very hard to prove things just by claiming that this is my personal experience. But David doesn't want to base his confidence simply on his personal experience. His confidence is is based on what he knows God is like what he knows for certain about God, what he's seen about God from Israel's history. Verse number seven. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. So here's the concrete evidence of God's graciousness. If you read through the pages of the, Old Test- of the Old Testament, I mean, Israel's history really is just a litany of failures, isn't it? Mistake after mistake from these people. They reject God, they 
disobey God, treat God dreadfully, ignore God, fail to act as God's people. But it's also a history of a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, isn't it? What you see in Israel's history is that God hasn't treated them the way that they deserved. It's a history of God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. See, David's confidence isn't just because he knows what God is like. It's because he's seen what God is like in the lives of the people of Israel. His confidence is based on knowing for certain what God is like. And then David gives us what what I think are probably some of the most humbling verses in the whole Bible, if you take them seriously. I'm now in my early 50s and I've got some friends who are starting to use a particular word quite regularly. It's the word legacy. And it's been interesting because I think once you get that side of 50, you start to realise that, you know, life isn't going to last forever. But these friends of mine are talking about what kind of legacy they're going to leave. They want to do something that will mean that their name will be remembered, that they will in some way live on, that they'll be remembered for something that they've done. They're wanting to leave behind a legacy. Well, David actually says it doesn't work that way. Man is not eternal and he shouldn't try to pretend that he is. In fact, it's a little bit arrogant to think in terms of an enduring legacy. Verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. In some ways that sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Do you like the thought that your life is really just like a blade of grass? That the wind's going to blow over it, it'll be gone, the the ground won't remember that it was there? Because that's what he's saying about our lives. We'd like to think that we're actually made of better stuff than that, wouldn't we? We'd like to think that we were more enduring than that. But if you're honest, you really have to agree that that's true, don't you? They estimate that the population of the earth at this point in time is somewhere around about 7 billion people. If they were to get every person on the earth to form a line and hold hands, that would be a very long line, wouldn't it? got no idea how long it would be, but it would be a very long line. They estimate that the number of people that have ever lived on this planet is somewhere in the order of 100 billion, 103 billion. And you're just one of them. And one day, you're going to be numbered among that 93 billion that aren't on the earth anymore. Kind of does have that blade of grass feel about it when you think of it that way, doesn't it? But the remarkable thing is, God wants to know you. And wants to know you for all eternity. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is is his love for those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He wants us to know his heavenly fatherly care and compassion. He wants us to know his everlasting love. He wants us to know him personally. I think the thing that stands out in this psalm for David about God's goodness is God's willingness to forgive sin. It's a thing that comes up a number of times. It's there in verses 2 and 3. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. And then down in verse 10, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That seems to be the thing that stands at the centre of this. David knows that he's forgiven by God. That his sin doesn't stand as the barrier between him and God. And that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. There's a story about Napoleon Bonaparte during his time as the Emperor of France. A young army deserter was brought before him and Napoleon ordered that the man should be shot. That's what happened to deserters. That's what the law dictated. And it was clear that this man deserved that. There was no argument, no, no plea of, of extenuating circumstances. He was simply a deserter and he was guilty. But the young man's mother came forward and begged for his life, pleaded with Bonaparte to have mercy on him. And Napoleon Bonaparte said to the woman, he doesn't deserve mercy. To which the mother replied, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. See, David says we need to be clear about the mercy and the forgiveness that God has shown to us. God has been willing to forgive you when you didn't deserve it. Yet he was still willing to forgive you. He sent his son Jesus into this world quite literally to take away our sin. So what David says in verse 12, we actually know for a fact As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We know how it is that God has done that. We know how our sin has been taken away. God has dealt with our sin decisively through the death of his son. When David talked of God's love and God's compassion and God's forgiveness, I think we've got to say he really only knew the half of it, didn't he? Oh, sure, he could look back to Israel's history and see God's enduring love and forgiveness. But we can look at the death of Jesus on the cross and see just how deep the Father's love was for us. We can look at the cross and see the full extent of God's forgiveness. We can look at the death of Jesus and see the lengths that God was willing to go to so that you and I could know him personally. The psalm finishes with another call to praise God. I began by saying that he wanted to praise God with every fibre of his being and now, and it seems a little strange I have to confess, that he's now calling on all of the angels in heaven to praise God as if they needed to be reminded that they should praise God. Verse 20, praise the Lord you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word, praise the Lord all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. 
And then finally, verse 22, a call for all of us, the whole of creation to praise God. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. David's no doubt right. I mean, God truly is worthy of our praise. This psalm is a great reminder to us to make sure that we do that. That we do praise God, that we do count our blessings. Not just on Sunday when we're here. Not just remembering God's blessings when we come to church. But regularly taking stock of what it is that God has done for us. Counting your blessings, remembering God's great compassion and love, remembering his forgiveness, thanking him for the things that he does. And again, we should be able to do that more than David, shouldn't we? We know the full extent of God's love. We know just how compassionate God is. We know the costliness of that forgiveness. We see it in his son. I was told a story some time ago about a young Australian Bible college student who went to visit a place called Kailicha, one of the black townships just outside of Cape Town in South Africa. It's an overwhelmingly poor place uh, and she was completely overwhelmed by the poverty that she encountered there. She'd never seen anything like this in Australia, thousands In fact, more than a million people crammed into this place where the conditions are quite dreadful. But the people that she'd gone to visit there were Christians, people who had a profound and genuine faith in Jesus. They knew what God had done for them through Jesus and they knew that they could count their blessings. The young girl from Australia wrote back to her family, Today I met some people who are very poor but think they're rich. Because they know Jesus. I think they're right. Count your blessings, is what David says. Remember God's great love and compassion. Remember his forgiveness. And thank him for what it is that he's done. How about we do that in prayer now?